Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max. And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. Hello from WBEZ in Chicago. I'm Greta Johnson. And I'm Trisha Bobita. And this is Nerdette, the show where we bring you conversations with artists, scientists, and authors. It's not about what you love. It's about how much you love it. (laughs) And our guest this week exemplifies what happens when you throw caution to the wind and let your enthusiasm for little things, big things. Saucy things. Yes, saucy things. When you let enthusiasm for all those things in life run rampant. Catelyn Moran is, as Leslie Nope might say, a beautiful, talented, brilliant, powerful muskox. I have officially divided my life into two parts, before Catelyn Moran and after Catelyn Moran. This strident feminist and her writing will change your life. She's sort of like the UK's answer to Tina Fey and Lena Dunham and Chelsea Handler all wrapped into one. We talk with the author and columnist about her new book, the definition of feminism, the importance of pop culture as a catalyst for change, and what it's like to raise two teenage girls of her own. What times we're living in, man? This is a heady, heady time. Feminism is cool and you can buy nerd earrings. This is it, man. (laughs) Can I just say that everything, including that, sounds so much better with her British accent? You absolutely can. That's Catelyn Moran on Nerdette. Because everybody, even Britain's filthiest feminist, is a little nerdy about something. Make it snappy, nerd! Nerds! Nerdette is supported by the Goose Island Beer Company. Since 1988, Goose Island has been committed to creating award-winning beers that define classic and innovative styles to capture the hearts, imaginations, and palates of beer drinkers. Goose Island, we don't need to be the only beer you drink. We just want to be the best beer you drink. Nerdette is also supported by the Art Institute of Chicago, ranked number one museum in the world on TripAdvisor's 2014 Traveler's Choice list. With 40 exhibitions a year and paintings by Monet, Van Gogh, Picasso, and O'Keefe, Details are at artic.edu. This week on Nerdette, we're talking with Catelyn Moran. My first exposure to her was listening to her audiobook, How to Be a Woman, which I think is the best way to consume How to Be a Woman because Catelyn reads it herself. And I promise you, you want this woman's voice in your brain. Her newest book is How to Build a Girl, an autobiographical novel. Literally the first sentence of this book features Joanna, the protagonist, masturbating. Just so you know where we're headed here. (laughs) And yes, this is also as good a time as any to warn you that this conversation is a little racy. We bleeped out the swears, but Catelyn wants to be the dirty auntie to us all, which means she is shameless about sex. But I would say that Catelyn and How to Build a Girl, they're not vulgar. This is honest portrayals of female sexuality. Her latest book is about a British teenager who escapes her impoverished childhood by writing reviews for a music magazine. When we talked with Catelyn, we asked her why, as the title suggests, How to Build a Girl so heavily emphasizes the importance of reinvention. This was like one of the themes that just excited me so much, because once I came up with the, the, the title How to Build a Girl, it was just really obvious what the book should be. And it's that point, like I, I do, when I, in the UK, I do kind of stand-up tours and stuff, and they sort of like, we sort of to 2,000 people a night, and kind of, we do signings that last three or four hours afterwards, and I meet so many girls. And you talk to these girls, and it was amazing to me to realize, because I don't go out that much, and I never went to school, and I've never worked in an office, to realize 
realize that so many women's default mode is self-loathing mm. you know they they are you know and, and if yeah. it's not loathing then it's seeing yourself as a list of problems every day waking up going i'm still fat my hair's still not good I haven't done my pelvic floor exercises i don't have a capsule <laughs> wardrobe my skin is still problematic whereas men just get up and put their trousers on and go my name is simon i'm going to go and do some work now That's i just... bet everyone is interested in my opinion yes, today exactly yes i am confident <laughs> it will take up space in the world without any apologies at all hurrah for me um so and the only kind of key uh sort of any sort of a genuine moment of, of genius that i've ever had in my life was around about the age of 14 just going i hate myself i really do hate myself i loathe myself and then going so what kind of self would you like then well be that like just whatever it is that you you would love pretend to be that and sooner or later you will be that that drag queen phrase of fake it till you make it is one of the most <laughs> beautiful and succinct bits of philosophy ever and the thing is that most teenage girls have already started that plan like if you look at any teenage girl's wall blueprinted there on the wall is who she wants to be because there she will have the posters of all her heroes and her heroines and pages torn from books and lyrics from songs and poetry all there on the wall and that's basically her going that you know and boys as well going that's what I want to be so all you need to do is just take that stuff off your wall and put it into your head and just fake it till you make it and and get to the point where you know you see yourself as a hobby like a little tamagotchi you're kind of like checking yourself every day going i'm excited about me today this is where i'm going to take me today this is what me's going to do and i've got to the point now where i wake up in the morning and i'm like this is brilliant <laughs> i didn't die in the night so score one and now there's going to be breakfast and that could be anything like, i am a simpleton <laughs> no it's perfect i think it's exquisite no there's like so much complexity in there too though i mean you have to get over so much you know? yes it takes a lot of thinking definitely but that's why I mean that's the beautiful thing guys it's my job to think most people don't get as much time to think mm. about these things as I do and uh, you know that is my job and I've just spent the last 10 years thinking about you know what it is to be a woman you know how we can make the world a better place and I'm so obsessed with doing that because I didn't go to school I was home educated and so everything I know is from the books that I read in my local library and I realized really quickly that books divide into two categories books and really useful books and the <laughs> useful books if you know if, if a writer is worth their salt they've put all of their life experiences into that book so when you read it you get their life experience and your life experience and then if you find another book like that then you've had two whole life experiences and yours and so if you read a thousand amazing books it's like you've lived a thousand times you aggregate that knowledge they are the useful books and so I was very very determined I only started writing books when I was 34 because that was the point where I thought I know how to write useful books now I think I've learned enough I've gone out there and made enough awful mistakes <laughs> that I can now finally write a book called Warnings from the Future by a friend <laughs> here is what you do if you are uh, the first time you ever go and review a band when you're a journalist when you're 16 you end up in the Smashing Pumpkins dressing room with your drunken dad and he starts yeah. trying to chass up Darcy Retsky from the band you I'm know, so glad to hear you say that because I was going to ask you know you say the novel is is fictional but it seems there are a lot of parallels with your own life did you actually see the Smashing Pumpkins let's just cut dad? through it uh, the, the legal disclaimer at the front that says that this is a work of fiction <laughs> is a work of fiction I can say that because oh, I'm in okay. America now it's Fair basically stopped my parents from suing me so I can I'm be very very blunt about this it's kind of it's pretty much all true and yes the Smashing Pumpkins uh, anecdote is absolutely true to the word uh, happened <laughs> so a, 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 a great <laughs> Okay. I don't want to spoil the whole thing for, for and the great thing is now that we're making the film of How to Build a Girl which yeah, you start shooting yes. next year of which the casting is incredibly exciting the girl who's going to play Johanna is just one of my idols so I'm incredibly happy about that and we're hoping that we might be able to get the actual Smashing Pumpkins to maybe get oh Billy Corgan to put on a wig and come back and play himself <laughs> come on Billy oh yes we're co-signing on that call yep, yep. that has to happen yeah that would be <laughs> <laughs> that was one of my favorite sections of the book, I think. Thank you very much. I cackled quite heartily as I wrote it, I have to say. <laughs>
It is a joy. I mean, it is every day I do just sit there going, this is my job. I just get to sit there amusing myself. One of the things I hear most is girls just coming up to me going, I always thought I was really weird until I read your books and now I realise I'm completely normal. And men who read them who go, I got three chapters in and I went, oh my God, Catelyn Moran and my wife are exactly the same. They're both (laughs) mad. And then they go five chapters in and they go, it's not that Catelyn Moran and my wife are mad. It's that all women are mad. And then they get to the end and they go, it's not that all women are mad. It's just they've got all these weird secrets and fears that they're desperately trying to cover up all the time like the structure of how to be a woman is each chapter is something that a woman tries to keep secret masturbation menstruation uh, you know hair and where it grows abortion whether she wants to have a child whether she doesn't want to have a child eating disorders fantasy love affairs whether you're going to get married whether you shouldn't get married because these are all the things to be normal is to be a man and everything that is specific to being a woman is the stuff that we still spend so much energy I mean the boldness and the obviousness of this is evident when you walk into a pharmacy and you look at all the products that there are for women and then all the products there are for men you know men have got deodorant things to shave their beards with end of unless they've yep. got a veruca women <laughs> we have serums every single part of the body needs a different and product and this serum is because that serum might make your skin slightly more oily than you wanted and that was the I mean it's a multi-billion dollar industry to make sure that women feel broken all the time. Yes. Yes. All the time. And they keep discovering new parts of our body as well. Like, kind of, you know, I remember with horror when cankles were invented. Oh, like, God, previously yeah. there was just ankles. Suddenly there were cankles. Then they invented the thigh gap. And I can remember oh, again yeah. just kind of like them just saying, you know, there should be a gap at the top of your thighs. Like, kind of, you know, you should be able to see the sky through your thighs. Yeah, that like, was so amazing to me. That whole, like, that just blew my mind. <laughs> Those pictures in the magazines, too, I also, I always find really interesting because I feel like it's so easy to just, like, take a rectangle-sized eraser and, like, make a thigh gap in these women. You know yes. what I mean? I know, no, no. Well, I'm, sh- I'm sure they do. I mean, I'm sure there, there are, you know, I mean, it's very interesting. Whenever I get to do photo shoots, one of my uh, pieces of strident feminism is to always insist on doing my own hair and makeup and wear my own clothes because I think it's really important and one of the biggest political acts that you can do in the Western world if you work in the media is to turn up and look a bit rough at a photo shoot. Just look a bit rough. We just need to see more women who do look a little bit knackered, cheerful, but, you know, slightly, slightly frazzled around the edges who nonetheless seem to be quite happy. I think that's one of the things I do. But they still always, at the end of a shoot, go, kind of like they'll take you through the contact list and just go you know do you want us to airbrush this do you want us to sort that out i'm like no i did a photo shoot last week where i was having to it's a very long story but i was pretending to breastfeed someone else's child <laughs> and uh, <laughs> my life is full of these things uh, and uh and they wanted me to show my upper arms and previously i would never have done that because i do have kind of like proper little batman like wings you know when sort of mm. batman sort of wears the cape i've just got them really in flesh you can fly. and yes and i've always wanted to hide them but i was just like no i'm 40 come on man like if i can't just be honest about my upper arms so I just got them out and then with that little kind of little foldy bits and that little wobbly bits and I was like yeah I'm really and they were like you know we'll photoshop this of course and I was like no leave it in I want a girl out there to see my dodgy upper arms and just go oh that's how arms can look you've inspired me to relax and not give as much of a <laughs> I don't even remember where I first saw it but I do like a lot of times these things seem very trite and very emotionally manipulative even though they're trying to be positive but this one was a series of photos that young children had taken either with a cell phone or a camera of their mothers on the beach or of their mothers and the moms were like, oh God, these photos are the worst. I have to delete these off the camera immediately. And the kid's going, no, mom, you look beautiful. Because when you're four, five, six years old, your mother's beautiful to you because you haven't been taught yet that any imperfection in her is this self-loathing you're talking about. And so it was this really lovely essay of someone saying, I was really in the moment of deleting the photos and my kid said, why? I thought I took a nice picture of you. You look beautiful. Oh, that's And it just this hit them like a ton of bricks, right? Oh. What they were teaching their kids about body image. Yes. 
Well, that's so key as well. And, and it's also, I mean, it's very handy for me because obviously I've got two teenage daughters and so, you know, I want them to be very relaxed and confident about their bodies. But it also, my political beliefs in that respect, also tapping brilliantly to my complete slovenliness <laughs> and absolute lack of willingness to ever make any kind of effort whatsoever. So every time as a political statement, I just put on the same smelly trousers that I was wearing yesterday and put my hair in a scrunchie. I am also furthering the cause and the struggle. And, and, that's a, and that for me is the fifth wave of feminism in a nutshell. That's perfect. Okay, I'm glad you brought up the fifth wave because that line from How to Be a Woman is one of my favorite things ever. That idea that like on your count, we're at the fifth wave, but yeah. really there will come a time where we finally realize it's just a rising tide. That's, that's totally. And and I feel that now, like when I wrote that five years ago, and I think I remember like an Ostrogolamus in there <laughs> saying that when the fifth wave really started to come in, then you would see it in pop music first because that's the fastest and most reactive form of media. And then it would be television, then we go to film. And then, you know, in the years since then, it's just all women now. Like they are the biggest stars in the world of women. It's Rihanna, it's Katy Perry, it's Lord, it's Beyonce. Beyonce standing in front of the word feminism. <laughs> yes, exactly, yeah. Carl Lagerfeld doing a feminism thing, Emma Watson at the UN doing her feminist speech, and then it's TV. And like this wave of feminism now when you've got Amy Schumer and Tina mm-hmm. Fey and Amy Poehler and Mindy Kaling and the Broad City Girls and Lena Dunham just making feminism fun, just showing you the revolution. Because the revolution, you know, doesn't... The thing about going on marches is they last one day and they will be in the news. But then that's usually it. Whereas culture marches forever. When you've got those shows out there, when you've got those characters out there, like, you know, Lena Dunham has so much criticism and we could talk for nine hours about how Lena Dunham hasn't done absolutely everything. (laughs) (laughs) And I I mean that in a tetchy way because no one's ever going to do everything. So we just need to relax on that. But the key (laughs) thing for me was hers was the first show that was for women of a generation post limitless free online pornography. And I had been worrying Mm. weeks before that about what would happen when the inevitable thing happens which is someone shows my teenage daughter some hardcore pornography on a mobile phone when they're coming home from school and how she'd react to that and then it was like no chill Lena's got our back because she shows you what happens when you try and have sex like a porn star <laughs> and, and, and her face is telling you everything you need to know it's funny it's painful she's not sure about it it's all there you know this is what happens if you try and have sex like you see on the internet you will end up falling off a sofa feeling very <laughs> conflicted <laughs> you know <laughs> that's what it is <laughs> culture is always there and I love I love the idea that you know we need politics and we need legislation they're already useful but culture works so much faster and it's so much more inclusive and you know the big story i always tell is in the uk we've got a writer called russell t davis gay writer a friend of mine he wrote uh, queer as folk and then took over doctor who which is like one of our big sort of national treasures and in, in the oh, room. okay cool then, then we can bond <laughs> yeah. this yeah it's really funny to me that you just thought I'd that explained. you had to explain what doctor okay. who so was. it's this program about him he's got a magical wardrobe and <laughs> he flies through space and time um, so he invents the character of captain jack harkness who is a bisexual yes. superhero who's basically based on han solo but will have sex with everybody and, and he, is they, also the most beautiful man and he's staggeringly beautiful <laughs> and insanely charismatic and just and yes and ends up being the face of Bo. Sorry for the spoilers there, everyone. Whoa. And, uh, <laughs> and then he kisses the Doctor in one episode on primetime BBC on a children's TV show at tea time. And not only do they not have one letter of complaint, but on Monday morning, my daughter's school, there were boys fighting to play the role of Captain Jack Harkness in their <gasps> Doctor Who games. And that's something only culture can do. No equalities minister, no piece of legislation can make children want to pretend to be bisexual superheroes. That's something that only culture can do with such glee and with such joy. And, you know, this is, this is why sort of, you know, you know, campaigning and talking about 
like social change in culture is the best way because if someone's just talking to you about it as, as politics, they'll be kind of like, they'll knock on your door and be like, we're going to talk about something worthy. And depending on how guilty you feel that day, you go, okay, I will listen to yes, the worthy thing and it will be a duty. <laughs> Whereas when you find a book or a TV show that you love that's dealing with these issues, you're grabbing them by the lapels going, you've got to watch this. Oh my God. And it's all being spread through love and energy and velocity. You know, it's kinetic. You know, th- this is the stuff that I'm interested in doing. Like, you know, George Orwell and Charles Dickens started off as polemic journalists, but they moved into fiction really fast because they learned that that's how you get your messages across and it spreads with velocity and joy and energy. And, you know, this is anyone who wants out there wants to be a writer. That's the energy you want to be tapping into. Not snarkiness, not cynicism. Uh, you know, it's joy, it's energy, velocity. Screaming, gin, big hair. <laughs> <laughs> and even when it's things that we don't want to talk about, the more difficult something is to talk about, the more important it is we talk about it through culture. I think you're absolutely right. You look at this season of Game of Thrones, there were a lot of conversations about sexual violence on that show. There were whole sites like the Mary Sue that I respect and love that said, we're done with the show. We're done with Game of Thrones because that scene of marital rape was too intense. It was gratuitous. It didn't need to be there. But that episode of that show meant that I ended up Googling the fact that marital rape wasn't illegal in the United States until 1987. And suddenly I'm having a real conversation with colleagues and friends about this issue that I would not have had were it not for Game of Thrones. Yes. No, I mean, well, I, I love Game of Thrones anyway. And I've had lots of debates as well. My, my sister, me and my sister, big fans of it. Uh, um, and she stopped watching it at that point. It's an awful thing. And I'd actually far rather see a boy being traumatized by watching someone he loves being hurt than watching another woman in pain being raped because I have seen enough. You know, I, you know, I, you know, and particularly I've, I've also seen enough of sex workers being murdered in dramas. I've just done that oh, now. Yeah. Just please. I, that, we're done there now. Just like, let's have a year. I think we need to have a year where no women are murdered in dramas. That would be incredible. Uh, no one is horrifically raped. No woman who's extraordinary uh, is found to be extraordinary because she was abused or raped uh, earlier in her life. Like, the amount of times there's an incredible character who's really driven and really great at her job. And then, kind of like, you know, episode eight, it's like, oh, it's because she was abused or raped when she was younger. Like, stop that, you but know. She got over it. So I know. it's fine. But it's also stop making it that women have to be super motivated to be good at their jobs. Maybe they were good at their jobs because they're good at their jobs, you know, because they had to. <laughs> pay their rent, you know, because they wanted to get out of their house because their mother was annoying them. No, like, you the know, only way to be a good reasons. cop is if your parents were murdered when you were <laughs> ne- nine years old. Your, super, your superhero <laughs> origin story. You know what? You don't need that. Bitch got to pay rent is enough of a, a superhero <laughs> origin story for me. Thank you very much. That's what it comes down to. <laughs> so I think it could be just semantic, but I think it's more than that. When we look at the titles of these two books, How to Build a Girl and How to Be a Woman, mm. and we were talking about adolescence as a transformation, as putting layers upon who you're going to be when you grow up. But I would say that how to build a woman is just as true as how to build a girl because I'm not sure when we're ever done with that process of figuring out what that's all about. Oh, no, absolutely. Well, that's that's the bit towards the end of the book where she realises that kind of the girl that she built at the beginning, you know, she's built her with some massive flaws and she's going to have to start again. And then the narrator takes over in her wise way and goes, mm. and she will have to do it again and again and again because the work of our lives is to invent, invent, and invent, you know, rebuild, rebuild, rebuild. Uh, you know, you, 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 you evolve every couple of years, which I'm heartily grateful for. If I look back at some of the fringes that I was rocking, oh, you call them bangs here, don't you? <laughs> yeah. Bangs that I was rocking in my 20s. I'm so glad that I have evolved out of that. So, um, but, you know, that's the, again, that's the thrill, like kind of, you know, you should be so excited about being yourself and if you're not then you need to just pause everything you're doing in your life and just kind of get to the point where you are excited about being yourself because everything's gone so quick man this is an incredible world I'm mainly saying this because I've just been stuck in a traffic jam for over an hour and so I really feel that I can see how short life is and I want us all to seize the day immediately (laughs) do you think Having so many of your formative years, I think about, you know, my music taste at 18, 19, 20 and looking back on it now, you did most of that very publicly. 
You yes. had very public opinions about all of those things. Do you think having to do it in that way made you quicker to realize the things that you've realized now that, no, reinvention is fine. It's normal. It's okay that I liked a band that I cringe at now when I was 19. Well, I have an interesting theory on this, uh, that I that people over the last couple of years, kind of like with sort of, uh, you know, uh, X Factor and American Idol and all these shows and sort of reality TV shows, people have wanted to be famous. Like there's a huge thing now in a way that people didn't want to before. Like for many kids, if you ask them what they want to do, they go, I want to be famous. And I think this is absolutely commensurate with the kind of the decline of religion because the thing about being famous is you're constantly scrutinized and you're getting feedback on what you're doing and you feel like you know that you can't do anything secretly which is the same mechanism as believing that a god is watching you and observing you so for godless children this is a way of feeling because when i got you know i was famous from the age of 16 17 18 onwards and it made me very aware to always try and be good like if i was walking down the street i would just make sure that i was kind of like helping people carry buggies up up, up steps (laughs) and kind of you know giving money to homeless people you know, hoping that someone would write in the gossip column, saw Catelyn Moran being noble today. <laughs> and now we've got Twitter. It's even huger. And again, I think Twitter works by way of, a, you know, an, an observing yeah. omnipotent God. Because, you know, again, you sort of, you know, people just report on each other all the time. This is our yeah. this is our God substitute. But it did also, I mean, one of the other big themes in the book, I've actually only just thought of that theory. I presented it as if I'd thought of it a long time ago. It literally just occurred to me when you were saying that. I but, like it a lot. <laughs> I like it. I mean, so this is like our breaking news. Yes, the theology of Catelyn Moran. Yes, yeah. This is beautiful. But the other um, theme in the book is cynicism and because when I was 16 I, when I was writing I was writing for a national audience and that's very rare to be a child who's being able to share their views of the world and because I was working in an office where all the others were grown up boys who were big and clever and scary uh, in order to kind of show off in front of them and and you know feel that I could punch my weight with them I became very cynical that the whole game was to be as horrible as you could about bands so I was like I will be the most horrible and so I would write <laughs> the most vile things like there was one band called Ned's Atomic Dustbin God bless them who I wished to be dead I wrote the review as if I was at their funeral and I was throwing earth on their faces going, you know, literally telling them they should commit suicide. I was standing here waiting for them to die. And, uh, and you know, and I very quickly, you know, and then people would throw drinks in my face and people hated me. And I still thought, but I, I love music. I, I started to write about it because I love it. Why am I doing this? So I stopped being cynical because the whole thing about being cynical is you put on armour to protect yourself because you are ashamed for people to know that you are innocent and naive and that you are inexperienced. So you put on this faux cynicism and armour to protect you. But the thing about armour is you can't grow in armour, you can't dance in armour, you can't run in armour, you can't change in armour. And that now, the, the thing of being able to write to a national audience, every teenager has now in the 21st century. You're all on Facebook, social media, on Facebook, you're on Twitter. And the game there is to be cynical, it is to be snarky, it is to want to tear people down and to not believe in things and a war of who's going to be the most bitchy that week. And, you know, that was another reason why I really wanted to write this book, you know, kind of like an old woman sitting on the stairs of a caravan <laughs> going, her beard. Like stroking my lady beard, my one very long chin hair that is always there. Going, going children, I've done this cynicism thing, it does not work out so well, abandon this now. Be Have the bravery, it takes far more balls to be a giddy optimist always ready to be disappointed but always staking everything on a new band changing your life you know on a new politician coming along that does actually want to do some good keep believing you know you have to keep yourself optimistic and and you know and always have the balls to fall in love with something and say i love this this is our definition of the difference and the reason that nerds are better than hipsters hipsters like things until someone else does yes nerds like them no matter how many other people do and want to tell you about it <laughs> that's so true. i love doctor who i'm not afraid of who knows i love doctor who <laughs> i'm going to tell everybody else about doctor who and if it gets really popular i'm not going to abandon it because suddenly it's uncool it's nerds are the future for you because <laughs> giddy optimism is what being a nerd is right if yes. you if you instead of hiding that enthusiasm and innocence and love of something behind the armor no. if we say 
No, I am the most excited about sea urchins, and let me tell you why. Yeah, you walk around dressed up like a Dalek, and it's a proper, true, and unbreakable love. And yes. that's why any girl, if you've got a choice between dating and marrying a hipster or a nerd, always marry a nerd. Marry nerds. I, I, yeah, I married a nerd. He has 50,000 records. His love is true. It is unwavering. It doesn't matter how cool or not cool I am. He's just in it until he dies, like a Trekkie <laughs> or a Hoovian. That is it. He's just picked his thing, and that is it. But what a world we live in. I can remember nerd being such a word of abuse when I was a little girl, and now you go into like jewellery shops like they've got one called Claire's Accessories which is mm-hmm. kind of like the cheap sort of thing in, in the UK and they have n- necklaces and earrings that say nerd on and girls will buy them and wear them it's like what times we're living in man this is a heady heady time feminism is cool and you can buy nerd earrings this is it man <laughs> <laughs> it gets better yeah, it really does <laughs> so I do want to talk a little bit about your definition of feminism because I find it to be I think the most simple and also like the most perfect definition that I've Heard. Yes. Um, well, it is. It, 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 it's to ask you two questions. First, you put your hand in your pants. That's right. Yes. And then the question is, do you have a vagina? Yes. And if the answer to that is yes, then the next question is, do you want to be in charge of it? If the answer is yes, then congratulations. You're a feminist. I did my tour last year and I did a range of merchandise because it's cool to be able to do that. And we gave all the proceeds to women's refugees because it's cool to do that. It gives me a lady boner to be noble. And uh, one of the <laughs> things that we had was uh, tea towels with the five rules of feminism on written in really beautiful scrolly writing five rules of feminism rule number one women are equal to men rule number two don't be a dick rule number three (laughs) there are no other rules that's it that's all those are the only rules to being a feminist that there are and there are small enclaves of kind of you know very academic feminists or kind of you know uh you know little groups of people who write blogs and stuff that would tell you that being a feminist is five thousand rules it's kind of like, almost like being in girl guides you got all these badges that you need to learn about all these different things and you need to dress in a certain way and you'll be portraying feminism if you're into these bands or you, you like those videos all of these things and it's like no there are the girls there are 3.3 billion women in the world so there are 3.3 billion ways to be a woman the whole idea of being feminism is there are more kinds of women not less you know this restrictive idea about about being a woman is absolutely antithetical to feminism at its bones so i would i would ask you to look at your logic and stroll on um you know it's very important that we understand this and feminism shouldn't be a set of rules it should be a set of tools you know with we're raising my girls rather than going no you can't be into rihanna and you can't wear that skirt and you can't wear high heels and or else you're not a feminist instead you're not giving them rules i gave them tools which is that if they, something happens to them that makes them feel uncomfortable like someone cat calls them in the street or they're watching a TV show where women seem to be objectified or someone makes a comment about them being into science they've got the tools to analyse that go hang on that's some patriarchal bullshit or internalised <laughs> patriarchal bullshit and then they laugh at that person Yes, and that is the key thing because you cannot oppress people who are laughing at you and this is why I love you know all the fifth wave girls now like Amy Schumer like kind of you know Schumer just puts up there you know just shows you on screen what you're supposed to do as a 21st century woman and then just goes how can anyone do that <laughs> you would be insane. You would look insane if you were doing that. <laughs> it's just like, and it also would leave no time for doing anything else that you actually want to do. Absolutely. If you follow all those rules that somebody else has put in your life, oh my god, you are never going to taste delicious things. You're never going to have delicious experiences. You're just not because you're too busy trying to be somebody else's idea of something. So I did want to ask you. I'm really curious with your own kids now. They're like. One is 14, one 14 is... 14 and just coming up to 12, so, yeah. yeah, I mean, that is like prime adolescence. Thinking about your own adolescence and the book you've just written, how are you making sure that they get to screw up without actually hurting themselves? You know what I mean? 
Yeah, well, I mean, the the, the the terrible problem is about being, you know, the strident and reasonably well-known feminist. Uh, I recently calculated that in the UK, anyway, my fame is 34%. That's how famous I am in the UK. I'm 34% famous. Just kind of like, you know, like... <laughs> it's like 34% of yeah. what being... Well, just, you know, I don't know, Prince William is 100% okay. famous. Okay. I'm 34%. So this like, isn't to say that 34% of the population knows who you no, are. No, no. I, I, well, maybe, maybe it is. Like, kind of girls, <laughs> girls with eyeliner, homosexuals, lesbians, uh, radical trade unionists, oh, okay. socialists, people... Yeah people who run libraries they will recognize I me I hope that's more than 34% yeah honestly. I'd like to when, when I rule my own country that will be the entirety of the population yes. only those people will be allowed Let's no one else go. Um, uh, and yes yeah, so, so the, the, the only bad bit about this you know having these girls that come and go thank you your book changed my life is known the two girls that will never do that will be my girls because because I'm their mum and so I am just embarrassing anything I do is insanely embarrassing I am just wrong 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 and I love how much they, they are literally sent to try me my Eleven-year-old came back from school and went, "Hey, I've joined the feminism club at school." And I was like, "That's amazing! There's a feminism club at school. Tell me what you're doing at feminism club." She went, "Oh, you wouldn't understand." (laughs) (laughs) I was like, "Seriously, early?" (laughs) Oh, you wouldn't understand, Mum. You've probably never even heard of the feminisms. (laughs) Oh my god. Oh, so that's how I know they won't screw up because and or and or that they will have the space to screw up in the way that they want to because. Because, uh, because my children don't think I know about feminism. So they're, 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 they're deluded, idiot simpletons, just as I was at their age. They will go on, make an absolute hash of it for five years, and then have incredible stories to tell me later on. I do love that Dan Savage, when he speaks in front of large audiences around the country, he always snaps a photo with his cell phone of the crowd. And his bit is that he tells the crowd, I'm sending this to my teenage son yeah. to tell him that some people do listen to me. <laughs> and again, it's, I think, a little bit of a similar thing. Here's a guy who's famous for being very brash and talking about sex and politics and all these things. But to his teenager, he is the lamest. <laughs> no, no. Well, I mean, as evidenced by, I um, left my daughters with my brother Joe to babysit them. And when I came back, he was teaching them how to play poker, which tells you everything you need to know about my family. And, uh, and they were really, really keen not to lose. And I was like, why? What happens if you lose? And they said, Uncle Joe said that if we lose, we have to read your book, The Bad oh. Chapter, the chapter about blood. <laughs> Oh man, that's funny because I feel like there are a lot worse chapters than the one about blood. I did say that, but they seem not to find that in any way. You know comforting. I mean, that is yeah. absolutely going to happen to them. Some of the other stuff <laughs> might not. But like, that part, that's yeah, coming. that is undeniable, man. <laughs> Although you know, I so believed it didn't. Like my parents, that it wouldn't happen to me. Like my parents never told us, gave us any talks about sex or anything at all. I found out finally about it from someone who left a tampax leaflet stuffed in the hedge outside our house, quite quite thoughtfully. Maybe someone who'd seen that I was oh, budding no. breasts and just went, "You've got weird hippie parents." That I'm going to tell you about periods, haven't you? Oh. I'm going to leave this Tampax leaflet in a hedge. It's just a solid from a friend. And uh, and I just remember reading the leaflet with the cross-section of the of the interior of the woman's reproductive organs going, this seems very unlikely. I just don't think this is... I don't think this is what... Because you know those things that they have for hamsters where there are all these tubes that are kind of, you know, and it's a really luxurious hamster thing, rotostacks. Yep. Like yep. All these tunnels for the hamster and stuff. I was yep. like, that's what I've got inside me? Like, kind of... I just thought it was all just meat. I was just like a sausage from like here to here, like completely solid. The idea there was all these tunnels and burrows that like kind of things were going to come out of and things were going to come into was like, so I just read all this and went, nope, you know what? I think I'm going to opt out. I just remember sitting there very confident going, I'm going to opt out of this whole period thing. I don't think that's for me. And then three weeks later, it started and it was three months long. My nails turned blue and I fainted in cost cutter. It was brutal. I once got so tired having a period that I, that I couldn't pick up a cat. <laughs> 
I just started to pick it up and I just said, I'm, I'm too weary now, I can't do this. <laughs> Put it back down again. Catelyn Moran's novel How to Build a Girl is now out in paperback. What I recommend you do, though, is start with How to Be a Woman, but you really can't go wrong. You can follow Catelyn on Twitter at Catelyn Moran. Still to come, homework from Catelyn and a listener nerd confession. That's in a minute here on Nerdette. Nerdette is supported by the Chicago Architecture Foundation, offering more than 85 tours by boat, bus, L-train, or on foot. CAF's tours are led by 450 volunteer docent guides and depart seven days a week. Tickets at architecture.org. Nerdette is also supported by Lifeway Kiefer, America's leading supplier of the cultured probiotic smoothie known as Kiefer. High in potassium, calcium, and protein, Lifeway Kiefer contains 12 live and active probiotic cultures that may support digestion and a strong immune system. With breakfast, lunch, dinner, or as a snack, Lifeway Kiefer is a healthy way to indulge every day. Head to the dairy aisle of your local Mariano's grocery store to find your favorite flavor. For more information and to learn how Lifeway Kiefer is good for more than just you, visit LifewayKiefer.com. Here's some motivational homework from Catelyn Moran. I had this thing, and I didn't realize that not everybody did it, that when you're falling asleep at night, that you just imagine your perfect future, just kind of like where you want to be in five years' time. And mine was always walking into a show business party in London where Oscar Wilde and Dorothy Parker and H.L. Mencken would be, and they would all just go, Dear love, you've done it again. Amazing. And I didn't know what it was, but I knew that I'd done it again. And I was wearing a beautiful green velvet dress, um, and um, that I had a small dachshund uh, called Eric, who was my best friend. <laughs> and that, you know, from the age of 12 onwards, however awful and miserable I, my life was, I was like, That's what I'm heading towards. I want to be at a party like that. And it hasn't yet quite happened, but knowing that that was the kind of place that I wanted to be and those were the kind of people I wanted talking to me allowed me to make a lot of decisions very easily all the way through my life. Because every time someone said, Do you want to do this job? Or do you want to go here? Or do you want to go out with me? Or would you like to take this? I would just go, Does it take me nearer to the point where Dorothy Parker and a Dachshund called Erica saying, You've done it again at a party? And that makes it very so. So, a dream a dream tonight of where you would like to be in five years' time. That would be my homework. Show, tell, dream of your perfect night and then and then make a vow that you'll move every day a little bit closer towards it. Catelyn Moran, it has been such a pleasure to talk with you. Oh, it's been so lovely being here with you dirty, brilliant, nerdy ladies. Thank you so much. <laughs> Trisha, do you remember recently when we were at that ice cream social and we met the little girl with Taylor Swift on her wall and she tried to play it cool about having Taylor Swift on her wall? I like that it was Taylor Swift and a lot of wildlife yes it was, it was like thing. this tree frog is my favorite and this kind of bear cub is my favorite and this singer is my favorite we all need this in our lives you guys even if you're not a teenager i think it's okay we need them go for it does that mean i can put more stuff on our walls <laughs> on your walls yes absolutely <laughs> oh this is so perfect for this nerd confession hi greta and trisha this is april i'm a huge fan of the show and this is my nerd confession A lot of people who have a spare room in their homes might turn it into a man cave. In my home, we have a nerd cave. It's where I work and keep all of my nerdy stuff, including my high school National Honor Society sash, a map of Middle Earth blown up on the wall, because you never know when you're going to need it, a golden snitch, multiple TARDISes, or maybe I should say TARDI, life-size cutouts of the 10th and 11th Doctors, which I swear were a gift, and a superhero cape that I may or may not wear on conference calls. Now all I need is a Nerdette poster. Uh, A quick shout out to my husband, who doesn't give me a hard time about the nerd cave, even though he's a muggle. Thank you. Love the show. So 
we have a new place to record Nerdette Podcast. We're coming yep. over and yep. we're going to set microphones up in your nerd cave because that and sounds like the greatest room in the history of rooms. Also, we should point out that we are both wearing capes. I have a cape at my desk. <laughs> I would like people it's to know. True, you it's blue do. and satin. <laughs> and it was given to me as a gift. And I occasionally wear it to feel like I can accomplish something a little more super. <laughs> Greta, what is the thing that was on your wall at some point in your childhood or adolescence that you look back on and go, oh my God. I mean, one immediately comes to mind, but I don't think I can say it. It's like deep Nerd shame. confession. It's deep Do shame. It. No, this is say not it. like... I had a Hanson poster on my wall. What could be worse than that? Oh, it's worse. Are what you ready? Is it? This is the Tampax ad mm. that was Rosie the Riveter, except on her bicep, it said Tampax. That was on your wall? It was on my wall. It was above my closet. Okay. So it was far enough away that you couldn't really see the Tampax ad. So it was a Rosie it, the Riveter picture on your wall. Yeah, but it was for tampons. <laughs> it was not good. So the Hanson picture was on my wall. Also, I had side-by-side very large posters of my two favorite baseball players. <laughs> of course you did. At that time, Alex Rodriguez. I didn't know. How was I supposed to know that? <laughs> and Derek Jeter, whose poster I would still put on the wall now. There you go. And then along the ceiling, so mm-hmm. think of like almost as a border around the whole room, mm-hmm. were album covers from original Broadway cast recordings from the musical theater canon. <laughs> all at the same time, by the way. These are all happening simultaneously on yep. the walls of my yep. childhood bedroom. Yep. It was just yesterday that I asked you if we would have been friends when we were children, wasn't it? We I, had a nerd cave. Yes. I had a nerd cave uh, as well. I think I need to re-nerd caveify. That's the my thing. Room. I think there is a true importance to being an adult and still having a nerd cave. All right. So that's your homework from Catelyn and from us. Re-nerd caveify your life in some way, <laughs> some small way. Let's do it. All right. And we need you to send us your nerd confessions, too. It's got to be about when you were at your nerdiest. Everything from epic fails to golden snitches to humble brags are welcome. <laughs> we're looking for examples of a moment in your life when extreme enthusiasm, yours or somebody else's, had a memorable result. Call us and leave your nerd confession. 312-600-5638. You can also record yourself with your smartphone and email that to us. Use the voice memo app and just send it to nerdatpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks to Catelyn Moran for joining us this week, and special thanks to Sarah Hollenbeck and the good folks over at Women and Children First, a fabulous indie feminist bookstore in Chicago, for helping set up the interview with Catelyn. The show is produced by us, Trisha Bobita and Greta Johnson, with help from WBEZ's Joe Dassault and Robert Anderson. Also, our deepest, sincerest thanks go to Colleen Pellissier and Brad Helm, the fabulous interns who helped make Nerdette and Nerdette Recaps Game of Thrones over the past several months. You guys are clutch. Serious lifesavers. We should probably warn you that uh, this is the last new episode for a little while. Just for a few weeks, we're just going to summer camp. Yeah, we're calling it Nerdette Summer Camp, and Trisha and I are actually going to different summer camps. Greta, what happens at your summer camp? At my summer camp, we lie in hammocks and read books and drink champagne, obviously. I like books. I hate hammocks. <laughs> and I really don't like champagne yeah, very much, so well, I'm not okay. going to your summer More camp. More for me. Tell me about your summer camp, I Trisha. I think, really... It's going to involve napping yeah. and crafts. Yeah. I there want you to get the nap badge. Someone fabulous got us a soldering iron starter kit mm-hmm. for our nerd at second birthday. And 
So I think I'm going to try to solder something. But honestly, we're just taking a few weeks off here to get the next season of the show up and running and, you know, maybe actually take a nap. We may do that. Oh, but we I will, will be make back sure at that you, you <laughs> But we will be back at you soon with new episodes of Nerdette. In the meantime, you can always find us at nerdettepodcast.com, at nerdettepodcast on Twitter. We've got more than 100 Nerdette episodes that you could listen to if you missed one here or there. Now's the good time to catch up. And we would appreciate it if you took the plunge and subscribed to us on iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. Throw some stars and write a review if you're feeling generous, like the excellent self-loathing patriarchy member did on iTunes. <laughs> this is the best name on earth. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, Mr. Patriarchy Member. Find us on Twitter at Nerdette Podcast. That's also where Greta writes teeny tiny book reviews. And we have a new place where we talk about book nerdery. We Greta? do. We are on Goodreads. My nerd spirit animal, Liz, insisted just enough times, not too many, that I actually did it. <laughs> and now we are on Goodreads. You can see what I'm reading and what I have read and what I love and what I don't love. That is all at goodreads.com slash nerdettereads. Greta, what if while we're on summer camp, I read a book? Can I tell the people what I read? Yes, you certainly can. We're going to make you like amend it with a little TB or something, just so everybody knows you read a book. (laughs) Too far? (laughs) Chicago Public Media creates award-winning content about the issues that affect nerds like you. More information is available at chicagopublicmedia.org. There is one other way you can help Nerdette. If you are a nerd with a business or you work for one that would like to get your message heard by Nerdette listeners, you can underwrite this show. Email nerdettepodcast at gmail.com to learn more about sponsorship opportunities. Our theme music is New Old Toys by Poddington Bear. Do your homework. Do your homework. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max. And listen to the Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts.